This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. The Revolution Church Podcast. See some people coming in. Good morning. Hello, hello. Hey, Christy. Hello, hello. Hey, Cheryl. Hello, Thomas. Oh, and uh, Thomas's church, Mount Ararat, uh, just celebrated their 123rd anniversary this morning. So, congratulations to them. Congrats, congrats. It's a big accomplishment. That's a long time. Of course, Revolution, uh, we're, we've only been around for 120 years, so we got nothing on them. Just joking. Hey, Robert. Good morning, good morning. Hey, Paul. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, Thomas. So, as you can tell, I am... Oh, yeah, good evening for you, Kate, in... Uh, in uh, Great Britain. Um, as you can tell, I am not in my regular setup. I am um, I'm visiting my family in Kansas before the big Seattle move, as uh, Minnesota is a much shorter drive to Kansas um, than it would be from Seattle. So I took advantage of my last little month here and... Uh, Visiting my family. I'm broadcasting now from my younger brother Sam's room. He is out of town, and so I didn't kick him out of his room or anything, but uh, I'm taking over his, his room for the weekend. And uh, got a nice, some nice little artwork behind me. Today I'm going to be talking about uh, the Holy Mother. And so I got that uh, picture of my mother's that I uh, grew up with as a child, and I thought that it would be appropriate to put it in the background little production uh, decision. Hey, Roberta, good to see you. Cool, it looks like we've got enough of us in here to get started. And my father, Gregory, is, is sitting over here. Hey, everybody. Um, so that's nice. I think this is the third time you've seen me in person preach, huh? Yeah, it's been, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. So, yeah, today I'm going to be talking about uh, the Holy Mother. And I want to give a quick disclaimer because I am going to be intentionally um, using the broad term mother um, with she, her pronouns. And that's an artistic choice. It's not a reference to traditional family values or, or gender roles. It's, I just wanted to just say that off the top that um, I know everyone doesn't have a mother, you know. Um, so if I, if I use broad general terms like, you know, your mother does, or your mother, this and this and that. Oh, yeah, the same picture, Roberta. That's cool. I love that picture. Um, So, yeah, I just want to say, I know everyone doesn't have a mom, and families don't have to have moms, and, uh, but I am, I am making that choice to uh, artistically talk about the Holy Mother, and so, yeah, there's just a little, quick little disclaimer, and don't want to trigger anybody. So, I'm going to start with 
a prayer. A prayer, not only is it, is it a little bit different for Revolution to be starting a service with a prayer, but this is probably not the prayer that you would expect to hear from Revolution. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death, and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Wink. O Mary, you do represent and did exemplify the divine. You, Mother, are a very special and important, strong, nurturing woman. You also birthed and raised a son who also does represent and did exemplify the divine. Your desire to plainly practice and teach divine love sets such a perfect and needed precedent that you have shown us how to parent divinely, lovingly, selflessly. Driven by your desire to exemplify divine parenthood, the love of God as applied to the abstract yet essential role or archetype of parent, of God, of creator, set such a precedent, a gentle and graceful loving example, that you successfully parented your child into God, into divinity, into Christhood. Please, Divine Mother, instruct us in your understandings and applications of grace before we die. Amen. So that's my little uh, reimagining. Um, I think it's uh, expressing the same sentiments as the original Hail Mary. I, th- I think it might um, anger some Catholics with my reimagining, but um, I don't think it's. I, I think it's fair. I don't know. I think it works. It's interesting how that prayer ends with. Um, let's see the original. The original, like mine's like the new one. Uh, how Hail, the Hail Mary ends with um, pray for us now and at the hour of our death because it's really common um, for people in uh, uh, life-threatening situations, you know, facing death or, or, or facing something very scary to call out for their mother um, or for their mama when, you know, facing death. And there are plenty of examples of that, um, you know, anywhere from a, kind of a comic type of like, I want my mommy sort of thing um, to a much more serious and relevant example of George Floyd calling out for his mother after uh, telling a proud, foolish police officer that he could not breathe and was suffocating. Uh, and of course, you know, his, his, his mother, his birth, his maternal, his birth mother was dead, but he was still calling out to mother to mommy and if he was if he was calling to his literal mother to his de facto guardian who raised him as a child who protected him and fed him etc he still knew in his volatile oxygen deprived brain that she the human wouldn't show up she's already passed herself and even if she were to be raised from the grave and did show up she couldn't do much to help in that situation. So was he instinctually, in a sense, calling out to the Divine Mother or to the abstract idea of 
holy maternal love. Because mothers, as people, as friends, can be wonderfully compassionate. And your birth mother grew you. And, not but, but and, she is still human. And humans mess up. And that's why we need divine examples. And that's why Christianity is a practice and a daily renewal. Um, We need divine examples of the perfect mother. Oh, Robert says the feed is not very good. I'm sorry, Robert. I don't know what to do about that. Can y'all tell me, is it bad enough to where I need to try something else? Or is it it just like kind of scratchy? If I need to, I can do this off off of a cell phone. I'm doing it off an iPad right now, which usually works better. I suspect it's not going well because I see people leaving. We're going to try. All right. Sorry, everybody. We're going to we're going to try it again. Okay. Kate says it's all okay. All right. Okay. We'll try. Try to keep trucking here. Thank you all for bearing with and being patient. New setup. Improvised setup. Made myself a little studio. I have a, You can't see it, but I made myself a uh, makeshift pulpit here. Roberta says yes, I can hear. Okay, great. Cheryl's back too. Very good. Okay. Okay. Sorry for the technical issues, family. So, I feel like I was on a roll there, and now I gotta... I got to get my momentum back. Okay, how about this? So, oh yeah, you're very welcome, Christy. And thank you for, yeah, thank you for, for bearing with. Um, so yeah, mothers exemplify um, compassion and empathy and love. Um, and th- like I was saying before we had technical issues, um, they're also humans. And that's just... How it is? They're 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 people. They're, um, you know, they could be a a high school friend of yours, you know, or, or something like that. They could be a, a a sibling of yours, you know. They're not just mother, but we often associate unconditional love with the effeminate or maternal parent in in theory, and of course, it's not always the case, and people are flawed. But the practice of religion invites us to even just for a moment slip into acting as a surrogate for divine celestial roles, to almost be um, possessed by the divine energy. Um, and that's, that's kind of basic 101, uh, you know, Christianity is... Um, becoming more Christ-like, becoming more God-like, becoming more, taking on more attributes of the divine, nurturing the fruits of the spirit. Practice, practice, practice. We never arrive in Christianity. I said that last time I talked. You never arrive. But you got to keep practicing. You got to keep inching forward. You got to keep, got to keep moving. It's hard sometimes, a lot of the times. Um, but, Christianity invites us to even just for a moment slip into acting as a surrogate for the divine. And like I said, it's almost like a possession. You know, like uh, a lot of Pentecostal services are into, you know, being slain by the spirit. It's like, it's like a, it's like a possession uh, in a, in a positive way. 
possessed by the divine energy. We emulate and sometimes even just approximate a, um, a, a mimicry of God, a mimicry, an approximation of the divine. And in that line of thinking, the divine feminine is nurturing, life-giving, life-creating, which is a really wild thing to think about, that women possess the ability to grow new life, to create life. And um, when I was younger, I, I always thought it was a hilarious joke to, to tease my mom about, I tease my mom all the time, all sorts of things but i would tease her about how how crazy it is how absurd it is that she grew me and my four younger brothers inside of her almost like uh like parasitic tumors we were just feeding off of her growing inside her and then one day we it wasn't this simple but one day we just kind of plopped out and now we're walking around making our own choices uh making choices probably that she doesn't like a lot of the times but we we grew inside her and now we're people it's just crazy you know it's it's like uh it's literally almost like like a, a growth inside of you that then becomes cognizant. It's wild. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's miraculous. It is a miracle. And the divine feminine is also associated with holy attributes like mercy and empathy and grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. And the Holy Mother is a source or expression of God's unconditional love which I hope is redundant, God's unconditional love. I hope that you all know and experience and intuit that God's love is unconditional. And I hope that you all know and can accept that you are accepted, that you are accepted and loved, and that there's nothing you can do to to, to stop that the boundaries may have to be set if you if you make mistakes the consequences have to happen but you are accepted and you are loved and the divine mother the holy mother is a representation of that is a way of understanding in human terms these celestial truths The Holy Mother is the architect and nurturer of human life, of all human life. The architect, the builder, or, you know, if you want to put it a different way, the, the, the tool that, that God uses, but, you know, still. Our very earliest experiences as we fade into consciousness are within the warm security of our mother's womb. We don't have to concern ourselves with anything. It's great. It's perfect. You have an umbilical cord feeding you. You're warm and safe. And you have no sense of separation of self between you and the womb. You and the mother, you and the provider are one. You have no sense of separation. You've never experienced not having your 
skin touching hers. You don't know where one thing starts and the other ends. You, you don't know that there are two separate things to start or end. There's, you have no sense of self. But then we're born. We're birthed. We leave the comfort and the security of the womb, and we are, we are technically traumatized by the birth experience because suddenly the cold air stings our skin for the first time. And we are hungry ourselves. We're no longer a literal, physical part of the mother. We are a self. In Buddhism, they say we are an Atman. Not an Atman, which is a different thing, but we are Atman. We are self. We are ripped from the stable security of Holy Mother's womb. We're no longer automatically nourished. Our stomachs get empty. And we have to find external resources to approximate the convenient, effortless nourishment of the umbilical cord. we got to go find some food, feed ourselves. As we are torn from the truest sense of unity, which was the only thing that we ever knew once we, and I don't know how consciousness works in, you know, conception and, and I don't want to talk about all that. Um, but anyways, but yeah, as we slowly fade into consciousness at some point in there, um, that's all that we know. And as we're torn from that sense of unity and we're transformed into a self in that moment, well, not really transformed, but we're, we're shocked into self in that moment, we are startled to realize that we are naked Sound familiar? A little Genesis going on there? As we are assaulted by the cold air on our freshly formed infant skin, we're assaulted by loud noises and voices that are indecipherable to us. Sound like primal grunts that sound nothing like the familiar, soothing, comforting heartbeat of the mother. Freud talked about that separation from the womb and transformation into a separate, distinct self, that trauma of birth, and he referred to it as being separated from the oceanic feeling. That's the term you use. Oceanic feeling, that oneness, that lack of individual, that lack of self, that unity with, with everything around you. It's, because in the womb, the mother is the universe. The, the, the womb is the universe. You don't even know that the, the, the sun exists. You don't, you don't understand space. You don't understand spatial separation. No reference point for it. Um, yeah, that, so he called that the oceanic feeling. No distinction between you and the mother. And Peter Rollins really explores this proposition or this theory of Freud's in a lot of his works. Um, I know particularly his uh, film, Making Love, um, explores almost, it, not to get too graphic, but uh, almost how we're one way that we try to, f- to fill that lack and almost get back to the security of the womb is through sex. And it's almost, it's like you're trying to, in, in heterosexual sex, you're trying to climb back into the womb almost, which I said, you know, it's kind of a graphic image, but, um, yeah, and by the way, I've, I've not seen the movie Making Love. So if Peter's watching, please send me a free link to it because I don't have any money. Perhaps our inescapable sense of lack of dissatisfaction, of insecurity, even our tendency to seek out or even fabricate objects 
of our desires, which are either personally constructed or mimetic. Perhaps that sense of lack is simply a direct repercussion of that initial separation from the secure unity with the mother, with the divine, with God. We had nine months of blissful, easy living, and then we got kicked out of Eden, separated from that paradise and union, unity actually with God. Not even union, but unity. And so perhaps we are driven by a craving to get back to that secure sense of unity, to fill that lack, to satiate that sense of separation. Perhaps that traumatic separation has us always daily for the rest of our lives searching desperately, grasping at whatever we suspect might fill that void and supplement our lost unity with mother. We just want to return to the secure womb of Eden. And of course, that's just half the story. Because just as we struggle to practice emulating Christ, the divine son, and Yahweh, the divine father, it seems obvious, though it's rarely discussed, to the best of my knowledge, or to, within the circles that I've been exposed to, uh, it's really discussed uh, the, uh, the, how essential it is for us to practice emulating the Divine Mother. And it's hard. As I said earlier, Christianity is a daily practice. And even Mary, the human was, who was cast in the role of approximating how to apply and practice and live out the Holy Mother, had plenty of challenges. I'm going to read from the Bible. We don't hear a lot about uh, Jesus' youth in the Protestant Bible. The Catholics have some pretty cool stories about Jesus. I know there's one like where he like he like finds a dead bird and he brings it back to life or something. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't hear a lot of stories about Jesus as a little as a little whippersnapper. But I'm going to read from Luke two. 41, and I'm probably going to go through probably 51-ish or so. Now, okay, we're all familiar with this story. I think I shouldn't assume that. Um, So, we'll set up is Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are traveling. What's it for? Is it a festival? It's like a yearly thing they go to? Yeah, it's like 12. Yeah, Yeah, so it's like a, a, a ritual kind of thing. Okay, see you, Cheryl. Thanks. Um, anyways, uh, they're, they're traveling with a large group of people for a, uh, a, some sort of a Jewish um, uh, ritual gathering. So now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, every year <laughs> at the Feast of the Passover. I swear I read this. I swear I, I read this. Oh, my Lord. I think the bird story is in the Quran. I don't know. I have Catholic friends who told me that bird, that bird story, Thomas. But it might also be in the Quran. But I had my my Catholic homeschool friends told me that story. Anyways, uh, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. As they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Hmm. 
Should have put one of those little child leashes on him. That's pretty bad parenting too, right? Like, I guess maybe they should assume he's playing with his friends. I don't know. You got to do a head count. Every time you leave, you got to do a head count. His parents were unaware of it. But supposed, okay, they supposed him to be in the caravan. Didn't see him, but they supposed he was in there. And Jesus is probably in the caravan. And they went a day's journey. And then after a full day, they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. And I'm sure it w- that's probably oversimplifying how that went down. They were probably freaking out, you know. <laughs> Has anyone seen Jesus? Where's Jesus? Did you see him? Where did I see him? They were probably freaking out. Felt like bad parents, probably. Learn a lesson and do a head count next time. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, this is a total of four days now that they've been not knowing where their kid is, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed and under, at his understanding and, and, and his answers. So Mary was obviously, as a mother, as a loving mother, and we, we, we know that Mary was a loving mother based on how she treats Jesus as an adult and her level of devotion to him. She was even like following him around and with the disciples and stuff. Um, unfortunately, we don't really get much reference to the, the female disciples or followers of Christ. Um, we get some here and there, but, but the, you know, there were quite a few. Um, and Mary, his mother, was nervous and anxious and upset, of course, because Jesus was being a little stinker. He knew he was supposed to be in the caravan. A little stinker. Wasn't done talking to the to the rabbis, the uh, temple uh, priests. And he just decided, hey, screw it. I'm just going to hang around here. He's 12. He should have known better. He's 12. Though, okay, so Mary's obviously anxious and upset, though out of love using the emotional and cognitive tools that she had, panic was obviously the natural reaction. I mean, if anyone's ever lost a kid, I think, honestly, probably most parents have, which is why I shouldn't have said earlier that's being a bad parent. Because, And I've even, I've worked in childcare and lost track of, of kids um, because they wanted, like, they hid on the playground when everyone else went inside because they wanted to keep playing. But they weren't 12. Come on, Jesus, you're 12. Uh <laughs> And uh, it's you know it's it is you panic you, your your mind goes to the worst case scenario you know what if they were abducted or what if something happened to them something fatal hey dad would you grab my Gatorade please um it's it is uh, anxiety inducing to the max thank you very much um can I get an amen on losing kids I think I've, I think a lot of people have done that. Um, but people are flawed, of course, and we, we step into or slip, we can slip into even, actually, these archetypes or roles, sometimes approximating or representing the divine eternal characters, like the divine parent, the divine sibling, the divine mother, the divine friend, the divine teacher, the divine student. We step or stumble into these instances of incarnating Oh yeah, Christy says it's the scariest thing ever. Yeah, losing a kid is the scariest thing ever. We 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 uh, we step or we slip into these instances, these moments of incarnating these divine roles. The divine can be incarnated in us, Christ in us, God in us, the divine Mother in us. 
or the divine feminine, if you're more comfortable with that phrasing. As Romans 3.10 says, No human is constantly embodying the divine, not a single one. You may be more familiar with no man is righteous, no, not one. But I prefer to say no human is consistently embodying the divine, not a single one. Romans 3.10. And in scripture, we see plenty of examples of women channeling the Holy Mother. Going back to the Bible. This is going to be from Matthew uh, I can't read my handwriting. That's not good. It looks like it says Matthew 55, but that doesn't even make any sense. I have another example, so I'm going to read that one instead. So Mark 15, 47 through chapter 16, verse 1. Mary. So this is after, um, after Christ was crucified. When Mary... Magdalene and Mary, the mother of G. Of, this is a typo in my Bible. The mother of Joseph. It's not even U.S. It's E.S. Is there someone in the Bible named Joseph? Anyways, uh, Mary, the mother of Joseph. I guess that's that's uh, canon now. Uh, we're looking to see where he was laid when the Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. And uh, Salome bought spices that they may come and anoint him. So while the disciples are off freaking out, saying, you know, he's dead, he's gone, he he really left us, you know, Peter's off denying that he knows Christ. Of course, you know, that's not chronologically exactly where we're at right now. But while the disciples are running around with their, like chickens with their heads chopped off, freaking out about Jesus being gone, the women go out and buy spices to commemorate him and to honor him and to go to the tomb and and to be near his body, to be near him. That's showing a lot of maternal energy, a lot of compassion and thoughtfulness and, and motherly love. So they go, yeah, they go to the tomb and they, and they try to anoint him. I was going to see if I had written down the Matthew passage or if I can skim for it real quick. Anyways, it's also during the crucifixion. It's just talking about how how the women were so supportive and were there and stayed for the whole thing and mourned the death of Christ and acknowledged their mourning and went to anoint his body with the perfumes and spices while the men are just running off, freaking out, probably hiding. Their rabbi just got got killed. So they're probably, you know, on a, on a watch list, as it were. They're probably flagged. If someone goes down, if a leader goes down and they're a leader of an, uh, what is perceived to be like almost like a cult, then the, the followers are probably going to get a lot of flack too. So the men are nervous about that. They're freaking out, but the women are being loving and consistent and showing divine motherly love. I was talking about earlier about these instances when we, when we experience the divine, when we incarnate the divine, when we express the divine, when we're possessed by the divine, 
We take those instants, those, those flashes of holiness or of righteousness as literal creations or new incarnations of our, of our earthly uh, parent or parents or parental figures. And with discernment and wisdom, another divine feminine character that's personified in scriptures, you know, wisdom, uh, we, we try to advance the work that was started by our parents or started by our predecessors while amending and adjusting, accounting for the human factor, let's say, um, filtering things with holy discernment, but advancing and continuing their sacred work, carrying on their heart and their goal and advancing it and amending it as, as we see needed because that's just how, how things work. You know, I, I hope that I am corrected by the next generation on, on things that I'm un, unaware of, and I hope that, um, you know, I, it's really, I guess it's iron sharpening iron kind of thing. And I see a lot of this influence of, um, you know, of parents and of mentors and and, and carrying on their work and, and adjusting it you know, with slight, slight adjustments. I see a lot of that in my friend and mentor, Jay Baker, who you all obviously know. Um, he's continuing and advancing the heart of Tammy Faye, of his mother, and and the grace message of Jim Baker. And a lot of you aren't going to like to hear that, but he, but Jim taught Jay a lot about grace and love, and Jay is continuing that work. Um, but I, but I want to focus on, on on Tammy Faye specifically uh, because she, she was so loving and inclusive. But she never articulated the degree to which we must accept that we are accepted. She supported, uh, and you know, I'm kind of referring to her work with the with the queer community. She supported Steve Peters, who was a pastor with AIDS, who was he founded the first church that was that was founded by a queer pastor. Uh, she was also supported and close friends with RuPaul, and she even jeopardized her career over it. And she would lead crowds at pride celebrations in choruses of Jesus loves me but she was but still she was never able to publicly articulate her affirmation of queer folks as as being children of God and actions do speak louder than words but she never articulated it um so she started that work and Jay took it to you know the next level using the same heart using the same goal using the same ethics but that energy that spirit that heart of the divine mother that tammy could embody is now being advanced and refined and lived out by jay by her son by her creation and it was her divine effeminate maternal love that inspired that and that allowed for that. Human parents get anxious and feel insecure and feel scared, as humans do. That's not negative. That's not a critique. That's just how it is. That's how we are. We doubt. It may vary from person to person the extent to which we're honest about our doubts and our insecurities. But it's, it's human nature. It's there to whatever degree. 
We don't get it. We fall short. And so God appears to us and meets us on our level. God meets us where we're at. And God uses imperfect, broken vessels as vehicles for incarnating divine principles and characters. And character traits and attributes in us. And and fruit of the Spirit. And the divine is incarnated in us, if even for a moment. We can be Christ to somebody. We can be the Holy Mother to somebody. The Holy Mother and the fruit of her womb are Christ, descended from David, from David's bloodline. David, naked, dancing, husband, murdering, concubine, having, horny old David. (laughs) Talk about a broken vessel and a a complex person. He's not a bad guy. You know, I don't know if there are good, good or bad people, period. But you know what I'm saying? He had plenty of redeeming characteristics, plenty of redeeming traits. But um, yeah, he did a lot of pretty messed up stuff. Killed, killed a guy so he could have sex with Bathsheba for lust. He had a bunch of concubines. Dress one up like Bathsheba and call her be, be a little role play or something. I don't have to go kill a guy. But God does not demand a perfect earthly performance. God meets us where we are. The Holy Mother loves us where we are. When we are an insecure teenager, when we are an angry atheist, the Holy Mother loves us. When we are a frightened, worried mother who lost her child, the Holy Mother loves us. God loves us. God assumes and adopts the form that we need to see to speak our dialect with unconditional patience and love. I used, this is something I used to say all the time. I thought it was like super deep. I thought, to me, it, like, it was a good metaphor, but a way of expressing the way that how God meets us where we are and speaks our language to, that we, so that we can understand it and um, I would express that by saying, if, if I was a bird, God would approach me in wings and feathers. I thought that was funny. I guess it's not that funny. But this is just a way to express that God, God meets us where we're at. The Divine Mother is forgiving and full of grace, mercy, and empathy. And that's something, Dad, that I got from you, that, that phrasing of uh, of the the effeminate the divine effeminate being mercy and empathy and the divine is also just and fair which also got from you dad showing action and strength two sides of the same coin you know yin and yang as it were so we practice christianity we daily wrestle with our lack or our separation from the oceanic oneness which Pete, Pete Rollins uses the phrase oceanic uh, oneness, whereas Freud says oceanic, um, what do you say? It doesn't matter. It, P- Pete just like changes the word. And anyways, um, yeah, oceanic oneness of the divine mother, the spiritual womb, 
the spiritual womb, Eden, paradise, residing within the Divine Mother. And maybe God made a big metaphor in how we are conceived and born and birthed. We're born one with love. We are born one with the Divine Mother, with the Mother, with the womb. And then we are ripped from it into separation and pain and discomfort and challenges and hunger. Ripped from Eden, ripped from paradise, and always trying to get back. Walking around naked one day, saying, God, where are you? Realizing that we're naked and uh, being separated. I'm going to read a passage from Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. By the way, lots of good, you probably can't see what they are, but lots, got lots of good books behind me there. Uh, one of which, I'll mention that this is a little tangent, but uh, is Finding God in the Waves by Mike McCarg. And that, that book was very, very, very influential to me. And um, it was that I, I, got, I got into Mike McCarg, or Science Mike as he goes, or used to go, but I don't know if he still goes by Science Mike. But um, I got into him, I don't remember exactly how I, I think maybe by even through Rob Bell because Rob Bell was his catalyst to, uh, yeah, a great book. I agree, Christy, to, 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 to getting back into Christianity after his uh, period of atheism. Anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it and, um, and highly recommend Mike McCarg uh, in general. But that book was a catalyst for me. I related so much with his story. And hearing someone who you can relate with when you're in the middle of something and hearing them talk about how they but went through that and, and, and relating to that and then hearing them talk about, you know, because they're further down on the path than you are in that in a certain regard and then hearing them talk about where they are on the path now, it can be very helpful and, and encouraging. It's almost like the whole it gets better thing, you know. It's like it gets better. It's, it's not going to always, doesn't have to always be like this. So I'm going to read this little excerpt from Love Wins by Rob Bell. I also have a Insurrection by Pete Rollins back there. I give my family books that I think are awesome. It's, it's like, but who reads? Nobody reads books that you give them as a gift. Like this, dumb, I don't know. I I had to stop doing that. Like, no one's gonna read. It's giving someone a homework assignment as a gift, essentially. It's like I don't know why. Anyways, I wasn't thinking. One Christmas, I just bought everyone a bunch of books. I don't know why. I was like, oh, this is gonna change your life. No one's gonna read it. Come on, get real. Give them an audiobook. That's a good idea. Start giving audiobooks. Okay, this is from the chapter called Does God Get What God Wants out of Love Wins by Robert Belliam. Rob Bell, just joking. Others hold this perspective that there is this lifetime and only this lifetime in which we all choose one of two possible futures, but they suggest a possibility involving the image of God in each of us. We can nurture and cultivate this divine image, or we can ignore, deny, and stifle it. 
if we can do this now, becoming less and less humane in our treatment of ourselves and others, what would happen if this went on unchecked for years and years? Would a person's humanity just ebb away eventually? Could a person reach the point of no longer bearing the image of God? Could the divine image be extinguished in a person given enough time and neglect? Is there a possibility that given enough time, some people could eventually move into a new state? One in which they were in essence formerly human or post-human or even ex-human? But yeah, we have to nourish the moments, instances, flashes of the divine incarnating itself, himself, herself in us. Christy says that she loves giving books. Well, Christy, I'm glad to hear that. You're one of few. You're in a small club, a small book club, maybe. Um, but God does not demand a perfect earthly performance and meets us where we are. So we practice Christianity daily wrestling with our lack or our separation from the oceanic oneness of the divine mother, of the spiritual womb. Naturally, we ache for approval from our earthly mother or our nurturing parent or whoever approximates that role. Like I said, I know I'm using mother uh, a lot and not everyone has a mother and not everyone needs a mother. But anyways, um, but like I said, it's, it's poetic. Uh, it's, it is a conscious decision that I'm making. So we ache, we ache for that approval from a parent or whoever approximates that role in our lives. We are literally a part of mother, capital M, mother. We are born of or from the flesh of our mother, lowercase m, mother, our earthly mother. We share DNA with her. We share genetic advantages and disadvantages, but we are still nothing more than flawed humans, at least on our own. The the feminine is divine. Our Christ, son of David, son of man, son of Mary, son of God, set an example by taking his birth, taking his calling, his inherited tools, the DNA and corporeal flesh and circumstances inherited from his mother, and to a degree, you know, his culture and and surroundings, and he went from there. Why was he a carpenter? Because his dad was a carpenter. Why did he speak Aramaic? Because it was the language of the, of the area you know he, he and i'm sure i suspect that uh any genetic like maybe mental health predispositions that mary might have had would you know he would have probably struggled with too because the whole point of god becoming man apart from atonement theory which i don't really subscribe to atonement theory but, but um but I'll, I will acknowledge that that you know a lot of people think that and that's fine. Um, but 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 the point of it was to relate 
to humans, to to be a human, to relate to humans, to go through the traumatic experience of being birthed, to develop in a warm womb as one with Mary, and then be ripped from her, and then become a little a little stinker and run off and hide, or not hide, but run off and scare his parents for four days straight. So he used the tools that he had in the birth uh, as a human. And I don't think that it questions the divine nature of Christ to acknowledge the human nature of Christ. In fact, I I believe all, nearly all, well, not all, not all but, but most uh, versions of Christianity, most denominations, most iterations of Christianity acknowledge the uh, essential nature of Christ's humanity. You know, some believe in um, that Christ was like uh, astrally projecting his, himself, like he was never physically. It's more of a Gnostic thing, like because all flesh is evil and material things are evil, so Christ couldn't have been flesh. But anyways, uh, I don't think it takes away from the divinity of Christ to acknowledge the essence, the essential attribute of his humanity. And though humans are far from perfect, we engage in such practices as religion in pursuit of learning from and attempting to emulate the divine, to serve others in righteous actions that incarnate the divine, just as Christ did. So I'm going to end with another take on a Hail Mary prayer and then we can do afterglow yes mother full of grace God is with you you and your children are blessed in fact you birth God what could be more holy and that is the end of my talk so if anyone has any feedback or Greg if you have any feedback, anybody, uh, any thoughts? I know that um, just while we're waiting, because I know there's a lag, um, uh, had some people saying some kind of funny things. Um, oh, yeah, about <laughs> about losing their kids. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people relate with that one. So um, as we wait for any comments to roll in, do you have anything off the top of your head, Pop? Is there a, a duck question? No, it's, it's recording. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, three quick points, I think. Um, first... Growing up uh, is one thing, but then always needing mother is another, right? So mm, good point. When I was five or six years old, Grandma and my mom would run her fingers through my hair and sing "Summertime." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, shoot. Uh, later in life, I'd sing that to myself. Thought so. Um, <clears throat> but then, in the army, you'd hear of soldiers in the middle of the battlefield been shot, and the medic can't reach them, and they're between the enemy and the friendlies, and they would know what's happening and they would call it for mom yeah um yeah and uh and I remember it's there's some elements what you said that apply even to the father right so where I held you for the first time and I looked down and said this is a part of me this is a miracle absolutely you know the participant Christian my part was easy yeah, you yeah, know yeah. after watching about the girl, I didn't mean to belittle the, 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 the role of the dad in that you paralleled it so uh but the, you know, my part was easy because she had 24 hours of labor and all that. Yeah, then she, she yeah was I was a stubborn one. 24 <laughs> hours of labor. 24-hour uh, labor. 
And then two years later. And a fat kid. It was like 11 pounds oh, yeah. or something. They go through mom was five foot two. But then finally, the, um, um, then a couple years later, she says, we should have another baby. I'm like, seriously? You want? I think to myself, you want to go through that again? Yeah. My part's easy. But anyway, yeah, that, no, that meant a lot. Thank you, Dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another really good point um, about getting to a point to where you don't it is it it can be unhealthy to still need your mother like mm-hmm. you did you know what i mean yeah. you, you can have unhealthy mommy issues a lot of people do um uh i think to some degree i do because i care too much about what my mom thinks but I'm, i've been working on that this weekend a lot yeah as a human but then there's a divine mother like you said mm-hmm. this archetype i need yes right right right, right. Mm-hmm. yes yeah and that's part of why um I don't want to say that actually. Okay. Uh, Sharon says, not getting the support I needed from my mother has made me a better mother for my kids and to others. Do, do you, um, just like kind of learning from her mistakes is, is that kind of sounds like that's what you're expressing. Um, yeah, unfortunately that, that can be another way to learn how to be a, to, to be in uh, a vessel for the divine for divine love, for unconditional love, is not receiving it and, and knowing how badly that hurts, unfortunately. Um, any, wait, I'll wait a little bit here, see if we have any other comments. Thomas said, great sermon. Thank you very much, Thomas. Roberta says, as a mother, even when my kids grew up, I still see them as babies. I lost my son five years ago. I'm really, really sorry, Roberta. And it was like a part of me died. My daughter is 35 years old, and she is still my baby. Thank you for sharing that, Roberta. That's very vulnerable and very personal. I'm, my heart's with you. Um, I mourn with you. That's tragic. I'm sorry to hear that. Let's see if anybody else... I'm going to... Maybe while I wait for more comments to roll in, I'm going to read some of these funny stories about losing their kids. Uh, Christelle said, once once they can unlock the door, it's all over. I even lost my 14-year-old daughter when he... Oh, I'm sorry. I even, I even lost my 14-year-old when he decided to go to a protest without telling me. Would have liked to have a safety talk first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Roberta says, once or twice in her lifetime, she's lost her kids. Yep, yep, yep. Oh man, when it all, it's, it's such a relief when you find them. Usually in my experience, uh, I don't have kids, but I'm, uh, a good deal older than most of my four younger brothers. And so I did a lot of babysitting and, um, you know, parent adjacent things, responsibilities. And, uh, I remember losing track of them, especially like at, at a theme park or at a mall, you know, just where there's just so many people and, you, you you have to be vigilant. You have to be constantly looking for them and not assume that they're in the caravan. Don't assume Jesus is in the caravan. You got to see him. Like in uh, like in Home Alone, they do that, the head count, but the neighbor kid gets in there and Kevin gets left at home. The old switcheroo. Uh, Kate says, my daughter got lost at Legoland and the whole park had to be shut down. Oh my Lord. Kate, that's awful. 
They had to shut down the whole park? Oh, my Lord. Oh, I can't imagine. That is unreal. She'll never forget that. You'll probably never let her live that one down either. Um, Sharon said, lost our son at the ocean. We found him. Good. I'm glad you found him. Oh, boy. Yeah. You don't want to lose a young child near a large body of water. That's for darn sure. Especially with, uh, what are they called? Uh, what's the type? Riptide? Riptide. Riptide. Don't want that to happen. Let's just wait for a couple more minutes here. That's bad kind of oceanic. Yeah, right. That's the bad oceanic oneness. You don't want to become one with the real ocean. <laughs> um, what do you all think about the womb as as Eden. Something that kind of just popped in my head. Actually, last minute, I, was, I already had most of the... I've been working on the sermon for a week, and uh, that part, that comparison came to me just last night. Um, I think there's kind of a parallel there. Realizing that you're naked and cold, separated from the paradise that you were born into, the only thing you had ever known. You don't know how good you got it until you get kicked out of Eden. Until you get kicked out of the womb. I was a late, I was a late birth too. I didn't want to leave that womb. It was comfy in there. Um, oh yeah, thank you, Christy. Christy said that she thought the comparison, or they, that Christy thought the, compar- the comparison was really cool. So thank you. Yeah, I was fished for compliments with that one, I suppose. I, honestly, I wasn't sure if it, if it, if it really fully tracked that's more of what i was asking but uh i think it does track i think it it tracks for me anyways okay it looks like that's probably about all the comments thank you all for listening and interacting even though i'm not the big man bishop baker um but yeah we're moving to seattle in about three weeks it's coming up very very quickly thank you to those of you who have been reaching out to me um offering to help me find um housing oh this is hilarious brian just said jay looks different i'm concerned yeah Yeah, i got a facelift um roberta said when you said that oh talking about the womb thing when you said that i saw womb equals home equals unconditional love i like that very good comparison uh thomas says i think separation of the self is illusion in the end the good need, oh, I guess it probably means the good news, is we are all, we are still connected, for sure. And that kind of ties into my, the last talk that I gave about uh, the well that never runs out, that, um, that is within us. We, you know, we drink of, of the water, um, and then we also have a well within us that never runs out, and then we can nourish each other. Uh, from our wells until they run out and then we need someone else to nourish uh, um, us from their well. Um, So I think that's a big important part that community plays. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the church, but in this case, the church plays. Um, Yeah, the good news is we are are still connected, Thomas. Um, But yeah, we, we still experience, if it's an illusion, it's an awful convincing one. That's all, so... Uh, yeah, so we're moving to Seattle. Um, any uh, we, we're, Donations have been low recently for, for obvious reasons because of COVID. Everyone's having a hard time. 
And it's always super awkward asking for money. And it's extra awkward asking for money during COVID and during any sort of uh, challenging time that that is affecting everyone. But any support that you can uh, provide is much appreciated. It'll all go, go towards the move and um, hopefully getting some video equipment because we Jay and I um, have been cooking up. We've got some stuff in the works. We have some really cool stuff in the works. I can't go into too much detail, but we have some new show ideas. Um, we have a few new show ideas um, that we're really, really excited about and we're really excited to roll them out. Uh, but we need some more equipment in order to, to pull off our lofty new goals because we really want to grow revolution a lot. So, um, yeah, so please, if you have, if you have the, the capacity, please donate. It's revolutionchurch.com slash donate. Um, and yeah, if you have like an old, uh, beat up microphone laying around that you don't need, you can, I'll give you a, you can DM me and I'll give you an address. You can <laughs> mail it to, but yeah, literally anything we're, we're as DIY punk rock as it gets, you know, um, I'm, I'm unpaid. I am, have been unpaid for the, the three years that I've been here working my butt off, quite honestly. And, uh, uh, and I know, you know, Jay has wanted to get me on staff from day one, but we just don't have the resources. So anyway, yeah, that's my pitch. That's the uh, passing the offering around, passing the plate, passing the digital plate. So anyways, lots of love to everyone. Love you all. Thanks for, thanks for uh, the fellowship today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sundays. Goodbye. is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at sacredmn. Christian podcast.